just tuned into this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 388 with Nicol Van Dyke, who is medical research lead at Irish Rugby. And we talk about injury screening, why we need to do it, what kind of results the guys in Ireland are seeing from the various different tests of which Nicol dives into, um, what results they're getting and why it's such a valuable piece of the puzzle. So a really interesting clip coming up with Nicol. Just before we do dive into this episode, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. Rock Daisy's best-in-class athlete management system provides a powerful competitive advantage to organisations throughout the NFL, NBA, NHL, NCAA and other elite sports leagues around the world. If you're looking for a solution that enables you to centralise, analyse and visualise your data, check out rockdaisy.com and sign up for a free trial. The first thing I want to kick off the chat with, Nicole, is around uh, injury screening. Now, I watched a UKCA presentation from Craig Ranson, who's got experience in athletics, cricket, rugby, I think. And it was quite a while ago, so it's probably 2015, 2016. And he presented on his previous experience in uh, injury screening and finished off with, well, we know these what the risk factors are, so why is anyone doing this screening anyway we've, we've got the research out there and he i think he actually said that he would do uh i think three basic screens or four based on what he knew from the research and didn't have to do much digging because it was there we knew it anyway now what's your thoughts on that and secondly how would you go about or how have you gone go, gone about building uh an injury injury screening protocol uh with the irfu um yeah, well, that's, these are fair points, right? Uh, uh, we do know what risk factors are, are important to, to concentrate on. When we're doing screening, I mean, let's let's talk about that first, maybe. And, and why are we screening? What, what is the purpose of, of a screening tool? Um, in general medicine, screening is there to identify a population at risk. So we're trying to separate out, uh, in sports medicine talk, the guys who are going to get injured or at a very high risk of injury to the guys who are not. And then hopefully you have an intervention for that high-risk group that drives down their uh, the risk of injury or illness. So let's take breast cancer, right? So we have really good process now with mammographies. I know there are some criticisms around around the test, but in general, like it identifies uh, women who are at high risk, and we can then intervene, right? Whether that's a mastectomy or treatment. Now the cost of that intervention is quite high. So we need that screening tool to be very effective and accurate. Um, and that's more or less what we have. For us, the cost of our intervention usually is, well, it, it usually isn't harmful. And it's something we can apply rather rather simply. It's not always easy to do, but it's rather simple interventions. We can, we can use Nordics as an example if you want. <laughs> and so, so I think for us, we've shifted, at least that's my experience, from once-off time point, high-risk athlete screening, so identifying that one athlete in, in, in the team that will get injured, to monitoring uh, and, and what that looks like in a risk management program. So for me, our screening process is really part of like a four-step uh, program that's really well described by Roald Barr and Andy McIntosh. Like it builds on the work that Colin Fuller did when he brought all the industry knowledge to sports and exercise medicine. But so the first the first question is, what are the risks in my team? What do I know are baseline risks playing rugby at this level? 
And so that already gives you some idea of what to pay attention to. Now, if you have an injury surveillance program like we do, we can be a little bit more specific about that. We can look for trends as they develop over seasons, over time, to see where we need to intervene and be a little bit more proactive. So it looks like hamstrings are okay, but calves are a bigger problem now, for instance. And we know that we can pay attention. Or it helps us to, to understand what to pay attention to. Then, so that's step one. Step two is like, how does that change over the season? So can I understand the work that I'm going to do, the training, the matches, the competitions I'm involved in, and how that potentially will alter risk as a player moves through the season? Which players will be exposed to a large amount uh, of, of that play and which would not be? And then how do I, how do I manage that? How, do we, how are we protecting players from uh, with that? In rugby, we, we, there's certainly lots of work now being done. World Rugby last year released guidelines on contact uh, uh, during, during training and trying to really show that we can potentially understand how these factors influence the risk for injury, but also performance. And so, again, keeping that main thing the main thing, the third question, this is the most common one, is can I identify athletes at higher or lower risk of injury? Now, for us, that's shifted more to monitoring. So we, we want to have robust players, and we, want that, we define that within the IRFU as uh, the potential to uh, participate in training and matches with maximal effort. So this is like really good work being done by Nick Winkleman and Phil Glasgow with our, with our whole team involved. And so instead of doing a once-off screening test at the beginning or in the middle of the season, what we're doing now is um, more of a monitoring process. So on a training day, a player would do a wellness screening, uh, which would include pretty much what you would expect from wellness, sleep, nutrition, uh, stress, soreness, stiffness. Based on those scores, they'll do an active component. So, uh, And again, we've refined ours. I, I think it'll be different for different teams depending on their own levels of risk, but uh, we certainly include the, the good old knee-to-wall, sit-and-reach, groin squeezes, um, and the players are doing this themselves. So they're autonomous in this process. But we use that information then to build their movement preparation for the training session they're going to be involved in. So also we take into account a player's history. So if they've come back from a recent injury, if they've had an old niggle for a very long time, they might get a little bit of work around that to make sure that we're, we're, we're protecting them from whatever influence that could have. So there's lots of information, lots of data being collected, but that informs that process where we're actively creating a, a, a program for each individual player so that they're ready for the session they're going to engage in. Um, and then I think the last question is, is there players that you need to do something different with? Now, that again, I think we've probably moved away a little bit from, um, from a blanket uh, approach to every single player in the team does this. Uh, there are, of course, uh, um, programs for, for the players, but that's really linked to their performance. So, a lot of those activities, even Nordics, would be linked to what we want them to be able to do and how that might influence their performance. Um, on an individual basis, uh, um, if, if there are players that are coming back from a period of deactivity for whatever reason, uh, how can we expose them to the right amount of high-speed running, whatever that may be, so that we know they're getting back to where they need to be? Uh, Andy Well, our data scientist, has visualized a lot of that data for us so we can see and track really neatly now how a player is doing over a season, and we know what their match expectations would be. So that helps us to understand where we want them, where we want to, them to get to. And then, as Phil would, would say, like, can you live there? Can you stay there? 
uh, we had this kind of strange natural experiment after COVID. We had that big interruption in the 20, uh, 2019-20 season towards the end of that. Uh, came back after that really good job from athletic performance guys, getting the guys back to their match match level expectations. And then we just finished a lot of games, competitions ran into each other, and uh, our players were just asked to really stay at that performance level for a long time. But for us, that seems to have been a benefit. I think that there's been like this interesting benefit from having them that, that prolonged exposure, not without any consequences, and certainly we've, we've tried to minimize the risk, but there's been some benefit of that exposure, and, and we see that in the performance of, of our teams now, which is really, really nice. So I think that the, the, those are the four steps uh, that we follow, and that's how the screening fits within that. So it's really part of a bigger process, and it's really become individualized. So we're giving each player what they need to really partic- participate with maximal effort. So based on the based on the wellness, what happened during the wellness that triggers <clears throat> other that triggers them three the knee to wall the sit and reach and the groin squeeze plus any individual work that needs to be done within them test knee to walls sit and reach and groin squeeze is there individual thresholds in terms of what triggers the next thing what triggers the intervention yeah that's a good question so we we kind of well we generally look at the standard a standard deviation of a player's average or mean and that that's usually a fair indication right if you think about what standard deviations mean, that means that you're 70% of the time you're going to be in that space. So then there's a third of the time that you might not be. So if you're, so if you're moving out of that space, then we want to pay attention. Um, I should I should mention this. Like, this is probably the, the greatest gift Rod Whiteley um, gave me among the many, um, uh, including how to roast coffee beans in a bread maker, which I haven't quite <laughs> got down yet. But incorporating data, or what do you do with data, right? I mean, we're certainly not in a computer says no kind of scenario. So it's a difference between being data driven. So we'll just, the handout dynamometer says you're 10% weaker, so I won't do anything with you. That's that's not true, right? We all know that's not true. And, the, uh, and being data informed. So incorporating data into your clinical reasoning doesn't replace it, but it enriches it. You're still making a clinical reasoning process decision. You're still thinking about what what's the best to do with your athlete. Now that quantitative process that brings into our quality that quantitative component that becomes part of our qualitative process, I think, is absolutely invaluable for us to deliver to the athlete what they actually need, or what we need to give to them during rehab, during prehab, uh, in our prevention efforts, in our return to sport efforts, and also make sure that the service we're delivering is optimal. So, so I really, I really see it that way, and that that's kind of our approach as well. With that knee to wall, sit and reach, and groin squeeze, that you obviously identified those three as the staple for rugby union. Would they be the staple for other running based sports as well, or would you go around about a different process to identify what they, those tests would be? Yeah, the, the, the most well known process is the functional movement screen that, that's been used widely across multiple sports, right? We played around with that at Aspitar a ton. And it's just, it's too insensitive as a, as a growth. It's very gross, right, as a measure. And so you need to really look at the subsections of that. Um, I, I, I think this predates my, um, my participation or, or um, uh, arrival at the IRFU. But there was, has been other tests that has formed part of this battery over time uh, that we've just, with experience, with looking at the data, gone, oh, that's actually not telling us much. So we'll exclude that. that. That's happened. That happened with our process at Aspitar as well. 
So I think you have to be reactive to what you're seeing. You have to be reflective about the different battery of tests you include and what that tells you. Now, each player might have an add-on or a slightly different um, um, test scenario or, or uh, battery. So there, there are individual, but, but those are the main ones that we feel kind of gives us the most information of, of, for, for what we're trying to do. Shoulder, of course, comes into rugby. You think a little bit about testing just internal rotation, uh, external rotation strength there. But um, by and large, it hasn't been that useful, but we still include it from time to time. So it does, the, 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 it does shift around a bit, but those core tests uh, we found most useful. And that's also different across the four provinces. Not everybody uses uh, um, the test exactly the same, but uh, it's, it's, it's the core of what we do for sure. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip came from episode number 388 and you can listen to the full episode on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today and I'll chat to you next time.